Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pal, David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you today? Well, I'm doing just fine, David. You know, I, I didn't have to get up in the in the middle of the night to get on my plane to fly back from Tampa. I had I slept <laughs> in. I had a nice lunch. It was it was really pleasant. And you're the better for it. Yes, I am. I am the much better for it. That was quite a game we saw uh, on uh, Monday night. I was not expecting that. I'll say to the least. No, I don't think a lot of people were. I think even uh, rabid Cowboy fans were pretty nervous about the game from the standpoint of, one, this team was going against Tom Brady, who was 7-0 and against the franchise. And, and while he had a more up-and-down season than he has for most of his career, he's still Tom Brady, and there's always the idea that he can win any single game at any time, right? So uh, given his history, the fact the franchise had never beaten him, and then layer on top of that that Dallas had not won a road postseason game in 30 years, um, I think I think fans, and I would say people in the media too, even though they felt uh, what looked on paper and what we'd seen over the course of the season that Dallas was the better team across the board, uh, which was borne out by you know Tampa Bay's eight regular season wins and the Cowboys twelve. Even then, I think it was difficult for people to go all in and go, "Oh yeah, Dallas, you know Dallas should take this game." Then it, they dominated from start to finish. Uh, I finish. I would say it was a very cathartic win by Dallas on, on several levels, and uh, now they go forward. But again, I, I think this is also part of the tortured fan base because I'm already hearing, you know, everyone, uh, the, the people who uh, were, were filled with angst going into this game, going, oh, but I mean, Tom Brady, really? Until this team beats Tom Brady, I mean, you know, I, I just can't see him doing anything. This, you know, Tampa Bay really scares me. I mean, they, and now suddenly it's like, yeah, but look, we knew Tampa Bay wasn't that good, and, and Brady is really past his prime. I mean, what are you going to do with this rookie quarterback in San Francisco? How are you going to get past him? So uh, I, I think there's – because of the 27 years of not getting back to the divisional round or a Super Bowl, I, I think there's a uh, – there there are, are a lot of mental barriers that Cowboy fans place ahead of themselves in the game so they don't get too invested until it's done. I don't think there's any question about that. I'm, I'm hearing from those same people or, or I don't hear from anybody at all. You know, the people who, <laughs> the people who say, you know, yeah. that uh, Dak Prescott, they'll never win with Dak. All those people just click, you know, crickets. So this week is radio yeah, silence. It's radio that, silence this week. Yeah. You know, the, I will say this, the thing that struck me about that game, obviously, and I think we just all kind of came to the conclusion and Troy Aikman included, I thought it was the best game I've ever seen Dak play uh, simply from the fact that everything came into being in this game. He was very crisp with the ball, making good decisions, uh, not forcing anything. Uh, he was running when he had to. He got out of the pocket and threw when he had to. Uh, the bootleg, a great play, the the play where he, he ran for the first down and dove over a defender. Uh, I thought this just looked like the Dak that we used to kind of expect a uh, guy who protected the ball, didn't, didn't do anything to risk it. And, and after the game, he said that he said that, you know, I was just getting too greedy. Uh, I was uh, trying to make things happen. And, and that was the thing for all the interceptions he's thrown this year, 15 interceptions going into the playoffs uh, and, and in, in only 10 games, 
uh, a, a remarkable number for him. Uh, he said, I was just too greedy. I was trying to make things happen that I, that I shouldn't instead of just taking what comes to me uh, and, and play in this way. And I, and I don't think that means he's being a game manager necessarily. He's better than that, obviously. But I think that this is a this is a model that the Cowboys can win with. He was not doing things in that game that were, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. He'll never be able to, to do this again. This is just the Dak Prescott we should have expected all along. Well, if your game manager throws for more than 300 yards with four passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown, um, I, I think the Cowboys would take that every single postseason game. Uh, what what happened Monday night was significant for, for Dak. Uh, he had been one and three in the postseason. Um, you know, he had his quarterback rating had gone down in every single postseason game he'd had uh, going into that game uh, against Tampa Bay. His best was his rookie season, and it just went down from that to his low point last year at San Francisco, where I believe it was a 69.3. So, you know, and – he, he he's making franchise money. They paid him. He is the franchise quarterback. They've devoted such a large percentage of their salary cap to him. Um, it's not just about him managing games. When you, when you consume that much of the cap, you have to be the reason the team wins some games. You have to bring, you have to, your teammates, you have to elevate them, not play down to their level. And, and I think you saw that in that game. And it was, uh, there were concerns about him going in, and I think rightfully so. You mentioned the 15 interceptions uh, tied the league high. Uh, he didn't come close to throwing an interception in the game, really. You know, he floated his first pass a little bit, I thought, to Michael Gallup. Uh, then he completed 11 consecutive passes at one point, which is a Cowboys postseason record. The only other one that came close was that pass into the back of the end zone that Michael Gallup caught for a touchdown but was then overruled because he stepped back. But that was a brilliant throw into a very tight window. So um, he just he was just more decisive in that game, I, I, I think. And it, and it really was, um, you know, he heard the questions around him. And we talked about this last week. I, I had never seen Dak as dejected after a game as I did after that Washington game. And it was noticeable. And, and this is a guy that goes out of his way uh, and is very aware uh, of the of body language and the and the physical cues and mental cues he gives the rest of his teammates. Uh, he was noticeably down after that game. He, he certainly uh, responded. And, and you know, th- th- this team has always had his back because he has theirs. But th- there are certain victories, I think, that um, – are more important than others or mean more to building culture and getting to where you want to go. And and I think Dak Prescott and this Cowboys team cleared several psychic hurdles in this game that, that should serve them well going forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's talk about uh, playing San Francisco, the rematch now with the 49ers. Uh, It's two different things here uh, going into last postseason against the 49ers uh, and going into it this year. Last year, I think the 49ers were viewed as a team. Okay, they they do some things well here with Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. They, they certainly run the ball well, and they're a physical team. But the Cowboys were expected to win that game, uh, especially playing at home and uh, coming off a 12-win season. And, and, of course, that's not what happened. Uh, I don't think that at any point during that game that we really thought the Cowboys were going to win. Uh, I thought the 49ers dominated them 
from the get-go and up, right up to the point that Dak and an official were playing musical chairs out there. So I, 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 I then going into this season, uh, certainly the 49ers are the favorite. You know, they are playing at home. That has something to do with it. But Brock Purdy has just played out of his mind, the rookie quarterback, or at least it's his first year uh, playing. And and I, I think that, uh, that that has presented – Probably something in the Cowboys' favor from the standpoint. I, I think they play better when they're expected not to win. I, I agree. I think there's mentality there. You know, it's interesting after after the game Monday night. Dak Prescott offered about how uh, in their leadership council when they were meeting uh, going into the Tampa Bay game that Demarcus Lawrence made the comment of, you know, this playoff run really sets up great for us uh, because. We have to play on the road in Tampa Bay against a quarterback we've never beaten. Uh, then in the next round, we either go on the road and play a, a Philly team that has beaten us, um, you know, or, or uh, face a San Francisco team uh, that beat us last year. And so to me, that speaks to how uh, the mentality of, you know, that the Cowboys play their best when they're not full of themselves or they're not necessarily expected to win. And, Mike McCarthy has said this, and, and he's he's not unique. Other coaches say this as well, that it's much more difficult to manage success and to keep that edge than it is if you constantly have a chip on your shoulder or, or you know, something to prove. And Dallas knows what San Francisco did to them last year. They just didn't beat them. They were more physical. They pushed them around. Um and they, they overpowered them in many ways. And you can look at the final score and go, well, it wasn't that bad. But watching the game, you know, San Francisco got up 13-0 and was then up 23-7. to Dallas rallied and made it respectable. But as you said, Kevin, you never got the sense watching that game that Dallas had a chance to win. Now, to reverse that formula, you have to get off to a fast start, which is what Dallas did against Tampa Bay. And really, that's the only playoff game with Dak that they've jumped out to an early lead that allowed them to play the game they wanted. But it's essential to do that against San Francisco, especially there. And, you know, that loss to San Francisco, I doubt you're going to hear the players talk about it much this week because the game's so close. But it fueled them in the offseason. It was was really the talk of the offseason program early in the season. They were all talking about remembering to what the 49ers did to them, how the 49ers kind of showed what level you have to play in the postseason. And they've responded to this point. Now they get to make that statement uh, against the team that kind of drove them to get back to this point. Let me ask you this about uh, Kyle Shanahan and the job he has done there um, in San Francisco and and specifically with Brock Purdy now uh, to be able to have the success they have. Do you think that Kyle is the best offensive coordinator uh, in the league at this point? I mean, we've always just thought that Sean McVay was uh, because of the, the great job and the, and the photographic memory and how he can remember plays from 10 years ago and probably can remember where his keys were every, every morning when he's looking for them. Uh, so, is Kyle Shanahan really that good? You know, I think they're a little different. I think McVeigh is more explosive uh, and creative in the passing game. Kyle Shanahan's wildly creative in the run game. Uh, they do things in the run game that no one else does, and they're a more physical team. And, and in a lot of ways, they're 
they're built more along the lines of the template that has rewarded teams with playoffs, playoff success through the years, right? Uh, a little more physical, ground-oriented. You can pick it up and run the clock when you need to if you have a lead. So I, I think both of them in their conversation, and you can make an argument for either one, but uh, Kyle Shanahan, I don't see how he could not be in the conversation, especially, now let's take it one step further, He's doing it with all these different quarterbacks. Um, you know, so it's this very creative ground game, which, you know, deviates and, and is kind of a variation off the same tree of what his father did when he was in Denver, a very creative ground game. But he's also plugged in a, a Garoppolo a, a, and now a Mr. Irrelevant, the last player taken in the NFL draft uh, and, and has gotten back to the divisional round with a with their third string quarterback that no one anticipated would even take the field this year. So, yeah, I, I think he's uh, he does a good job of getting guys in space. And he his template is, you know, you look at a lot of his players, you go, well, uh, yeah, that's a good player, but what is his role? He takes all of these guys that have multiple roles and carves out a niche for them, I think, better than most uh, offensive coordinators in this league. So let's compare a little bit on the on personnel here. So if we take certainly the best players on their offense are Kittle, the tight end, Debo Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey, and then uh, I got, I'm going to throw Purdy into that mix because he's the quarterback. So if you, and Brandon Ayuk does some things for them as well. But yeah, those are the main. So ones. if we if we if compare the Cowboys players with each one of those, obviously, uh, if you're going to if, if Dak is going to play like he did against Tampa Bay, I'm going to take Dak over Brock Purdy in this game, right? Sure. Sure. And, and, and here's the other one too. Uh, Brock Purdy has been a remarkable story because you didn't expect anything out of him. Right. Yeah. But at some point, doesn't he have to look like the last quarterback taken in the draft? Uh, the last player taken in the draft doesn't, uh, but maybe he's that rare guy. Maybe this is bursting on the scene like Tom Brady did, uh, you know, after Bledsoe got hurt in New England, maybe it's uh, Dak his rookie year when no one expected anything, and, and he played so well and got to the divisional round. But there's always the idea that at some point this guy has got to fall to earth, right? And, and I would just bring up people were saying that about Minnesota all season. They won all these remarkable games, had all these incredible comebacks, and they kept doing it. And they had, what, won 11 or 12 games with a team that was outscored by 80 points over the course of the regular season. And you kept saying, it's got to catch up with them. It's got to catch up with them. But it never did in the regular season. But boom, it hit in the first round of the playoffs. There is still, I think, that element hanging over uh, Brock Hardy's head a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Uh, he has to come back down to earth at some point. All right, and then, and then let's take uh, Christian McCaffrey and Tony Pollard. Uh, obviously, McCaffrey, a, a terrific talent, uh, does a lot of things. I see that Tony Pollard does those things, too. They, they don't always get him incorporated in the game plan as much. And then part of that is that he's sharing the load with uh, Zeke Elliott, of course. Uh, I, I like it when they get uh, Pollard involved. They, they throw him, a, uh, you know, two or three or four passes a game, you know, get him out in some space. That's obviously where he's the, the most effective. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to quibble too much with the game plan against Tampa Bay. I thought that Kellen Moore showed a lot of things that were really uh, problematic for Tampa. You know, that's a, that's a good defense. And they made that defense look silly uh, several times yes. with their misdirection and and uh, a lot of the things they tried. CeeDee Lamb, touchdown, he was wide open. Pretty much all of the touchdown passes, guys were wide open. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. uh, but I would like to see a little more of that uh, to get involved. But I, I think that that's I, I'll, I would still give uh, to me Christian McCaffrey the the nod over Tony Pollard. But that's not a that's not a big gap there. That's it's a pretty close space for me. No, it's not. And uh, but McCaffrey has really changed this San Francisco offense, right? He's he's the element they did not have in the run game last year. They were having to make up for it with different ways, with using Samuel Moore as a running back, uh, doing a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of reverses. You don't see that as much now because McCaffrey is so good and is such an outstanding receiver uh, out of the backfield. You give the edge to San Francisco there, but Tony Pollard at his best is pretty close and really has an explosive element uh, when he gets in open space that McCaffrey doesn't. So, you know, one of the biggest failings of Dallas last year's game in the wildcard game against San Francisco and said AT&T Stadium was Tony Pollard only touched the ball, I believe, four times. That will not happen uh, Sunday afternoon in Santa Clara, I I would anticipate uh, for Dallas to have a good shot to win and 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 the tempo that they need and and the ability to make some big plays that that Mike McCarthy is always preaching about a team has to do, especially in the postseason. That that Pollard's going to have uh you know north. There's a good chance he has north of twenty touches in this game. Uh, I, I think if, if they're being successful uh, against, the yeah, 49ers. I agree with that. I think he has to at least. And here's another one, very quick. Uh, and I'm not saying there's not a role for Ezekiel Elliott, but he has not been effective here late in the season. A stat to keep in mind: on his last forty carries, seventy-four yards. Oof. Not good. Yeah, he just uh, – I, I don't know how much I blame Zeke for that. It seems like to me when he gets the ball, he, he's been – he's meeting immediate resistance. Uh, well, they've been shuffling the offensive line some as well too. But when he has a chance to stretch it outside or you see a little bit uh, – again, I think he's still very good between the tackles by and large. And and anytime you're inside the five-yard line, I would hand it to him nine out of ten times over Tony Pollard. Uh, nothing against Pollard, but we're talking about Pollard in space. But 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 Elliott is a power back and is still very effective down in the red zone. So I don't want to minimize him. But as far as getting him the ball in space and and the the potential for explosive plays that you're going to need against a very good aggressive San Francisco defense, you're going to get those from Pollard much more than you are from Elliott. All right, let's move over to the tight end position. George Kittle, obviously one of the best tight ends in the league. Uh, um. There's no question about that and what he's been able to do. Um, but I will say this, at Dalton Schultz and, and, the, and the combination of the tight ends with Jake Ferguson, I don't know uh, if Hendershot is going to be available. Is, is he is he okay? He was he was out early in that game with a thigh injury. Yeah, he may. We'll, we'll find out a little bit more of that later in the week. He may be back, but he's he's the he's the niche player, right? You may throw him the ball. If he has more than two targets, that's probably unusual. Uh, but you saw Schultz. The fir- this surprised me. The first tight end in franchise history to have two quarterbacks in a postseason game. Two touchdowns. Uh, that was Dalton Schultz. Two touchdowns. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, so uh, he is an uh, he is clearly uh, I he's an outstanding tight end, but Kittle is up on the elite level right after Travis Kelsey, right? Yeah. He, he's in that group. And, and that's going to be a huge matchup issue for Dallas, especially J. Ron Curse, who hurt his knee in that game. If J. Ron Curse uh, is not 100%, uh, you know, defending Kittle, 
just got a little bit more difficult for Dallas going into this yeah, game. Yeah, no question about that. I think the thing that, that, that to me, that uh, for the Cowboys is that, no, Dalton Schultz is not uh, George Kittle, but uh, it's the combination of the tight ends. I like the the, the 12 personnel yeah. and when they're able to do that. And Ferguson had a big play in Tampa Bay. He, he had one of their longer receptions. Yes, he did. And, that's, and I think that's uh, a little underrated as well. I think that gives Dak something to work with here. You know, that – Dak at his best has always been a guy, I'm just going to throw to the open guy. I'm not going to try to force this. Yeah. And when you've got two tight ends that can catch the ball, uh, and now, you, now you've now added T.Y. Hilton to the mix. Very, He was very effective. He, that first pass he got thrown, he went right through his hands in, uh, on Monday night. But for the most part, he's been very effective uh, in a very quick t- um, uh, uh, time that he's been here. Um, yeah. I, and Gallup had one of his better games in a while against Tampa Bay. And and C.D. Lamb, as we've seen really from since Dak got back, has really established himself as a, as a lead, uh, the lead receiver, which which there were questions about early in the season. Right. But but I don't think there are. now. No, not anymore. All right. Our, our, our old pal Evan Grant is joining us now. Hi, Evan. How are you? No, apparently Evan Evan is on mute. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you could make it. It was better when he was on mute. <laughs> How's everybody doing? We're doing great, Evan. Uh, we're trying to wrap up this this uh, Cowboys segment of our podcast so David can get out. He's got stuff he has to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, here's what I want to ask everybody. We're going to go around the table here. We're going to we're going to predict a score. Uh, so uh, since Evan, you're the first, uh, the last guy in, you're going to be the first guy to make a prediction. Who do you say wins this game in Santa Clara between the 49ers and Cowboys? As the only guy who uh, last week among the three of us picked the Cowboys to beat the Buccaneers, um, I think that's why you're going to me first because you want accuracy. I don't think that's true, is it? <laughs> uh, can, can, can we roll tape on that? I don't think, I think that's David true. picked the. Uh, I, I think David picked the Cowboys to win. All right. Well, it, it, never mind all that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, I, here, here's my my thinking: is that listen, as the season trans, transpired, I just felt like the 49ers had the best defense in the NFC, and I think that is what carries the day for me in these playoff games. And and so I've got San Francisco winning um, 21 – we're going to say 21-15 because the Cowboys are going to um, – They're going to miss four extra yeah, points. <laughs> Five field goals, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Brett Mars coming back with five field goals. What a man. He can't kick an extra point. He can kick a field goal, but not an extra point. No, I, I think if 21-15 is what you want to say, that's fine with me. That's not fine with all of us, uh, Evan. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to say – I I was going to say the 49ers. Uh, I, I want to see how J. Ron Kirst does this week. Uh, I, I want to see how some of these guys come back uh, from their uh, injuries in that game. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and – I picked the Bucks to win last week. Uh, I really didn't think they were going to be able to pull that off, the Cowboys. So then they did. So they they proved that to me. I'm going to say Cowboys 26 to uh, 21. 20, 26 means that they're going to miss two extra points, that Brett Maher only misses <laughs> two extra points in this game. That's an improvement. That's an improvement. He, he's doing much better. What do you say, David? I say it's pretty early in the week to be picking scores. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Especially when I'm as conflicted as I am at this particular moment. I, I I reserve the right to change this. So can we come back and, uh, and amend this uh, podcast later? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, we'll fix it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah, I'll fix it for you. Well, well I, as you know, as you're aware, David, we keep very stringent. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we keep very stringent tabs. The regulations are, yeah. Me, yeah. Um, boy, I, I am actually, it's early in the week. And I'm not going all in on this because I'm still waffling. I think that from a Dallas was so driven by what they didn't do against San Francisco last year and how they were exposed as not being as physical as they needed to be, not having the sense of urgency, not not rising to the occasion. Uh, the, the chance to atone for that against the team that exposed that in them last year, when that's been a driving force over 9, 10, 11 months, I I don't minimize that. And I, I think while, you know, San Francisco, I believe, carries a 10-game winning streak into this game, the level of competition, Dallas has actually had a more difficult schedule to play in some respects than, than San Francisco has when you look at uh, some of the games in this stretch. And, and the Purdy has to fall to earth at some point, right? I take all of that together. And I would actually go for the upset at the moment. I would say Dallas um, 28 to 24. Well, that would be an upset. But like I said, I'm still working through it. But yeah, I'll, I'll go Dallas 28-24. And I know you're about to say that's an upset because that you're, you're believing that would be all four extra points, correct? Yeah, that's but what I was going to say. Get yeah, that's the upset. May, may, maybe you go two of four in two-point conversion. <laughs> well, there you that. go. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, there's no question about that. Well, I, I agree with you, David, about the about the uh, the revenge factor in this. Uh, I I don't discount that at all. The, the, the Cowboys' problem has always been this season – uh, that when we expect them to play well, they don't. Uh, and 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 when we maybe don't expect them to do as well, they do. And the other factor is uh, Micah Parsons for me. Uh, clearly yeah. the Cowboys' best player. Uh, I thought he was terrific uh, against uh, the Bucks all over the place in, in the backfield. Impacted that game start to finish. Yes. He destroyed their offensive game Yes, plan. he did. And I thought they did a good job moving him around more. He played a little more linebacker in that game than he had been. I thought it was mm-hmm. terrific. Uh, and and I think that that is a difference maker for the Cowboys. When he is playing really well, that defense is really good. Uh, so I, yep. I think that is going to be a factor. All right, David's going to have to get out of here. He's got to go uh, work, and uh, I'm going to have to get out of here in a little while. But before I do, uh, we're going to talk to Evan a little bit about uh, some of the other things we got going on. I, I hope you two are very happy together. I'll talk to you again next week. We, we will be very happy together, yeah. All right, Evan, you did a little story uh, for today's Dallas Morning News about people uh, who got the yips. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, did you, you know, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, I'm sure it's really good. Um, did you, first of all, did you talk to people that you've known for, I don't know, 30 years, like you did on your one, a story the other day? Uh, no, I did not. Um, okay. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I, I did not, but Kevin, uh, the audience doesn't really get your little shot that you fired at me. Um, (laughs) 
Sometimes people that you know in life, you know, they just happen to fit really well into a story. And I'll, I'll tell you what, the Andrews family is, uh, uh, when it comes to sports fandom in this city, they are, um, they are pretty, uh, pretty spectacular. Um, well, even more importantly, the Andrews family gave our oldest son, Jake, his start in commercial real estate. So, Oh, that's right. They did, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Roger Andrews, the brother of Mark Andrews, who, whose family you wrote about, was our longtime next door neighbor. Um, and also, I'm just going to say this, also one of the craziest people I've ever known in my life. But love Roger, love Mark, great family. So, they, And they're, they're fun to talk to, and they really are good sports when it comes to talking about sports. They're the, they're the kind of sports fan I like to talk to. So There you go. But, but listen, everybody that I talked to for that, um, the Alvarados, the, uh, the Russells, and so many people reached out on Twitter uh, that it was um, it was really fun story to write, and um, it was fun to 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 listen to Cowboys fans um, who grew up in the last twenty five years talk about how crazy their parents are for having this belief that somehow the Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl every year. Um, but there there is a generation gap between Cowboy fans, and that 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 was fun to explore a little bit. Yes, um, it was. And this week, I got to explore the feel-good story of the Yips. So um, I, I talked to Jay Feely, and uh, I, there, there's nobody you could just call up and say, hey, what's it like to miss four extra points in a game? Um, because because nobody, no one's ever done that. Um, but Feely had missed three field goals, all of them potential game winners uh, for the Giants in 2005 against Seattle late in the season. It wasn't it wasn't a playoff game, but it was late in the season. Um and it was such a punchline that Saturday Night Live turned it into a, a skit the following week um, featuring Dane Cook, which made it tremendously unfunny. But nonetheless, uh, it still aired. And, and I talked to Jay just about what it was like to, to kind of go through that, um, to, to deal with with getting another shot. And, and, and also, you know, he's an analyst for CBS now. He does their, their NFL games. Um, wanted to get a feel for him like – what he saw. And um, I, I think the, the, the two things that I came away with were that he, he said that after the fact, as, as much as, as much as it hurt and as, as, as hard as it was to go through and as miserable as the next week was, um, he was a better kicker for it afterwards because he was really much better able to just block stuff out and focus in on the process. Um, he had, he told me a story about, Two weeks after this this game at Seattle, he went to uh, he went with the Giants to Philadelphia. Um, the the very gracious Eagles hospitality group um, decided to play a montage of every one of his misses every time he came on the field, um, and he managed to just block it out, not look at it, um, and and uh, made the game winning field goal in that game. Um, and so he, he felt like, you know, you get through this and, and you're more free. Uh, the other thing he felt like was that from where he sat, that after after the first two misses, he could just tell that Brett was going out there with the idea of hoping to make a kick and not knowing if he would make it. That he was stepping to the to the tee box as, as if it were – you know, looking at, at at a water hazard and saying, I can't hit it in the water hazard. I can't hit it in the water hazard. 
And you know what happens when, when you do, when you take that frame of mind, you immediately hit it in the water hazard. Um, I, I thought it was interesting yesterday that, that John Fossil said, actually used the word yips to Michael Gelkin when, when they were talking yesterday um, and saying that he had the yips because in golf, guys talk about it in baseball um, where I spend most of my life, it is it is a verboten word. It is forbidden to talk about. Um, you, you you call it all other names and, and, and don't say it. And so I thought that the idea that the Cowboys were confronting this head on was probably a pretty good thing. Look, let's call it what it is. Let's, uh, let's get you straightened out. And uh, they were confident that he can have a – a good game this week. I, I think you go back and, and the one thing for me, Kevin, and I don't have, I don't have great, uh, great empirical data on any of this. And there really isn't with, for, for guys missing multiple extra points in a game. But you know, the, the, the bottom line is that usually if a guy has a game like Brett Maher did, he doesn't get another chance. And so we don't know how quickly a guy recovers. You heard Troy, and well, you didn't hear him because you were at the game. I was, I was doing the game from TV. But you know, by the by the fourth miss, Troy said what was on everybody's mind that, hey, the Cowboys may be looking for another kicker next week, and and so the fact that the Cowboys are sticking with him, I think maybe a vote of confidence enough alone to kind of get him over the hump. Well, it's an interesting question because, uh, as we as we know, kickers usually don't get that kind of license. Uh, and and I want to re- refer to a couple of things. First of all, uh, you had Morton Anderson, the 62-year-old Hall of Fame kicker, tweeting out during that game, are the Cowboys hiring? Um, which really seemed cruel for, to me for a former kicker to say that about another kicker. You had Peyton Manning jumping up as I think you noted in your media column from his uh, couch and said, what in the world are they doing? Why are they letting this guy kick? Then you had Dak Prescott being caught on camera saying, you know, why are we kicking an effing field goal? I mean, no extra point here. Why aren't we going for two? My sons are texting me, you know, during the game. Why is he, why aren't they going for two here? And I said, yeah, they run a naked bootleg. It worked pretty well when they were down there at the one yard line. So uh, to me, this is going to be really be interesting because that was a lot to pile up. It wasn't just the four misses in that game either. He missed his last, uh, he missed his only shot in in the the last game of the season against uh, Washington commanders. That's why that score was 26 to six. So he has missed five extra points in a row. Yes. You know, we know that's a record in a game. Uh, and certainly this is, this is probably the longest streak in the history of kickers, you know, high school, junior high, anywhere. Uh, Brett Maher has been a very uh, good kicker for the Cowboys this year. But when you have that weight on your shoulders, I just don't know that you can do that again in San Francisco uh, when you play on the road in Santa Clara. Well, and, you know, uh, without getting – because I, I did not get a hold of a sports psychologist yesterday. Again, I, I, I went looking for sports psychologists who dealt with this. And most of them deal with golf or baseball. You know, there's just not a lot who deal with this on the football side. I did reach out to John Carney, who runs a kicking academy in um, in California and spent a long time as an NFL kicker. Uh, I have a feeling that maybe Brett Maher, Brett Maher did reach out to Carney just because I didn't get a call back from Carney. Um, 
when I thought I was going to get one. And I will say that I did reach out to Morton Anderson um, and there was no response there uh, on, on, on that front. But I, I was a little bit surprised by Morton Anderson's comment because I, I would think that kickers would have a little bit more empathy for kickers for, for the lonely life they lead. But I will say this. I, I It ran through my mind during the course of that game that, that, that maybe there was a psychological carryover from that miss in D.C. And that kept building up and building up. And I think Mike McCarthy's thought was, if, he, if we can just make one, we'll break that train of thought. And I, that's why I think that last extra point, making that one may have been a significant thing. I, I, I don't know. We don't know. We'll see. It's going to, you know, if the Cowboys lose this game on, on kicks in any form or fashion uh, this weekend, it's really going to come back to be be a lingering question. Uh, but I, 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 I do, look, I applaud the Cowboys for saying this guy's had a great year. We're going to we're going to stick with him instead of trying to cast about and find a kicker who hasn't been kicking for several weeks to come in here cold and try and, and, and get down with their special teams unit. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about any of that. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, they, they had the opportunity because of the game and because they had the game in hand to let Brett try to find his way through this, you know, and work his way through it. Uh, and and that was the fact that it wasn't a close game, I think, is one of the reasons why they kept doing that uh, and, and letting him kick. And I think that probably was, looking back on it, the right thing to do to try to get him right. Because, you know, you, you hate to be – working in uh, a new kicker this week. On, on the flip side of that, any kicker I sign, I'm going to expect him to make at least 75% of his extra points. I don't know how good a kicker he's going to be, but I think one of the things we noticed in that game is after that, now maybe they were having him do that on purpose. He was not putting any balls into the end zone either. They were returning right. all of his kicks in the middle of all of that. So, you know, sometimes they, they want him to do that because they, you know, they're trying to set up a, a return where they, they won't get the ball back to the 25-yard line. Uh, but uh, it it just looked he looked completely and utterly lost in that game, uh, and so I, I think that's the thing you got to question at this point: is he resilient enough to bounce back from that? We'll see. Uh, the, the Cowboys don't need anything that. that the one other thing you missed was from the Manning cast after uh, um, after Myra missed the first extra point. Uh, the guest at that point in time was uh, the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, Deion Sanders, um, and his coach reaction, Prime to you, Coach Prime to me, um, and one of my favorite athletes of all time to watch and always entertaining. And his reaction was, "The guy's got one job. He's got one job." This is before Peyton jumped out of his chair. Um, and I mentioned that to Jay Feely yesterday, and he in, informed me that Deion Sanders' kicker in 2023 will be Jace Feely, his son, who's transferring from Arizona State. So, uh, <laughs> wonderful. Pass that little take on to his kid. Yeah, you get out there and make this one thing you're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a lonely life for kickers out there. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I, you, you do feel for them. My gosh, you know, none of, uh, neither one of my boys were, were kickers. Jake was also a team punter, but I can't imagine uh, being a kicker just because of that. Because uh, the pressure, this is the one thing you're supposed to do. I will say this, you know, uh, yes, first kicker to miss. Uh, four extra points in the game. But 
this is also in an era now where you've moved it back to where it's basically a 30-yard field goal. Correct. So that's a little different. Some of those kicks, uh, maybe all of those kicks, he didn't he didn't miss them all terribly. Uh, maybe all those kicks would have been good in the old days. So I, I do think that uh, that we need to – he needs to have that little caveat in there. I don't want to just – That's a great point. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, uh, our kicking segment. This is the first kicking segment in the history of uh, of this venerable podcast, and we didn't even need Pat McAfee. Yeah, well, good for that uh, that we didn't need that. But that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, we appreciate Evan you uh, doing that research and uh, getting after that story because that I'm telling you during the game that's what I'm getting from people. They're not talking about the fact that the Cowboys are dominating the Bucks and that they finally beaten Tom Brady. Everybody's asking me about, you know, what's up with the kicker? You know, that people were just well, I mean, it's, again, it's just something you nobody had ever seen. And it was it was just um and and the reactions from the broadcasters and the reactions on the sidelines were the same that that you were getting via social media. So I I, I get that part. Yeah, we all, we all get it. All right, that's going to do it for our kicking segment. I don't know if we're going to have one again next week or not. We'll see. I hope not. Uh, let, let's hope there's not a, a, a need for a kicking segment. Uh, and and now uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Rangers, uh, or at least Evan is. I'm going to have to get out of here. I've got to, I've got things I have to do as well. It's been a very busy for our podcasters today, uh, and uh, and Evan's going to Evan's going to take us out. Thank you for that introduction and departure, Kevin. <laughs> my pleasure have a lovely time wherever you'll be i'll yeah. uh, i'll wrap this up here oh look at that you're the al haig of uh of podcasters you got everything under control yes sir well now that i've run everybody off um and i am in full control of the podcast this is what we've been aiming for for years and years and finally my plan has come to fruition and we can talk about the rangers in peace no interruptions from kevin no heavy breathing from David. It's all good. Um, the unfortunate part is that there's not a lot going on with the Rangers right now. Uh, they are still kind of in the market looking for a left fielder. And the biggest news that I can report is Adam Duvall signing uh, a deal with Boston for one year and $7 million. Uh, while that's not a guy that I thought the Rangers really had on their radar as a, as a real strong candidate, I do think it helps continue to set the market for what will ultimately be their free agent addition um, in, in David Peralta. I, I just think that that's going to end up being where the Rangers go. I think that's going to be a five to $6 million deal. And I, I think it's a fine way to approach the start of the season. You don't know what you have in Bubba Thompson and Josh Smith. You don't know if Brad Miller is going to be fully healthy. You get a veteran there, you let them play some. Uh, if you are in contention, in real contention in July. I think then maybe the Pittsburgh Pirates are a little bit more realistic about Brian Reynolds and what their asks would be. You'd have a better feel on whether Reynolds is the player that he was in 2021 when he was a six-war player uh, versus who he was in 22 when he was a three-war player. Um, and, and I think the uh, the other factor in that is that come the trade deadline, there could be some higher impact bats available, uh, even if it's on a rental and a, and a rental might cost you less. So I think the Rangers perspective and, and philosophy in this offseason um, has been solid. 
given that Ray Davis has given Chris Young what amounts to a blank check by and large to improve the pitching staff, uh, spend Ray's money as long as he's willing to spend it. And when, when the time comes and when it's an absolute necessity to get yourself a left fielder, then you can address that situation. The other thing the Rangers have to address still is, is, is a little bit of help in the bullpen. News last week that Brett Martin was going to have shoulder surgery and would be out for most, if not all, of the 2023 season. Uh, it, it, for a lot of bullpens, this would be um, a real distressing move. But the Rangers have other lefties in the bullpen. In, in Brock Burke, who was an all-star caliber reliever last year, and in Taylor Hearn, uh, who, you know, had some ups and downs, but really did seem to settle in as kind of a multi-inning left-handed reliever. So it's not like the team has no left-handed options. They still have left-handed options um, at, at, out there. Um, I, I do not envision Matt Moore kind of coming back into the picture. I think the market for Matt Moore has just gotten – uh, to a point where the Rangers don't think it would be a cost-effective move. Uh, so there probably will be a few more non-roster invitations handed out between the middle here of January and early February. And listen, the Rangers and other teams have had lots of success with with non-roster invitations, experienced guys on minor league contracts who may be coming back from an injury, maybe trying to bounce back from a down year, something like that. Bullpens and, and relievers are so fickle from year to year. One adjustment on one pitch can make all the difference in the world. And, and, and so I'm not that concerned about how the Rangers address the bullpen uh, the rest of the way. I, I think getting another body for left field uh, would be more important, particularly uh, if that body could hit left-handed and there would be occasions where you would want to like play Josh Smith in left field, play the left-handed uh, other outfielder as as your as your DH, and sit Mitch Garver so you can go with a really left-handed leaning lineup. Uh, and, and I think that's something that, that that the club is considering. That's why most of the outfielders that they've talked to uh, at length have been left-handers. Um, just a couple other little things. Uh, to wrap up before we get out of here, you know, we will do our Rangers top 30 prospects uh, sometime in March in print and online. But uh, Baseball America this morning released its or Tuesday morning, I should say, uh, released its top 100 prospects uh, for the 2023 season. And the Rangers top prospect, according to Baseball America, is Evan Carter who has moved to number 26 overall. Uh, that's as high as Rangers have had a prospect for, for some time. Uh, Josh Young is at number 59, and Owen White is at number 66. Uh, the Rangers have more top 100 prospects than any team in the American League West, uh, which is the good news. Uh, the, the somewhat distressing news is that Neither Jack Leiter nor Kumar Rocker, the Rangers' top picks in the last two in the last two drafts, who went number two and number three respectively, are in the top 100 overall. And there are a number of players from the first round uh, in both 21 and 22 who are in the top 100. I think it speaks to the disappointing performance that Leiter had in his first full year as a pro and speaks to the idea that Rocker basically was off for a year between his 
junior year at Vanderbilt and uh, the draft debacle with the Mets and coming back from shoulder surgery. I think that can all be rectified very quickly by midseason uh, and the, the, the Baseball America midseason update. I, I think you could very well see five Rangers in the top. Well, I'll say four because I think that by that point in time, Josh Young will have enough big league at bats that he will have kind of graduated out of their qualifications for, for rookies. Uh, but I think that the other four, very possibly, I think Carter could move into the top 20 before the the middle of the season. Uh, I think Owen White can only, if he stays healthy, he can only go up from where he is. And I think by midseason, you could have Jack Leiter and and Kamar Rocker if they both if they both recovered after poor seasons last year, or if if Leiter is recovered from a poor season and Rocker's healthy, I think you very easily could have those two guys in the top 100. So. Um, there's depth in the Rangers system, as they've said. Uh, I think that they it's it's now time for more and more guys to kind of creep up towards the cream of the crop. But uh, the Rangers are in are in good shape, and and especially where the American League West is concerned. Uh, the other little bit of news that I wanted to just touch on was that um, we're sitting here at the middle of January, and the Rangers are still looking for managers at Double A AA and Triple A. Um, I thought this would be wrapped up by now, but they had uh, both their double A AA and triple A managers uh, took uh, other opportunities outside of baseball. Um, the first week of January, really kind of un- unusual circumstances, nothing really untowards there, but just, uh, I think what you're going to see is more and more of this as pay for minor league instructors continues to be really below what their, what their work suggests and there are better opportunities for family life and 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 income outside of baseball so uh i i expect that that will be rectified here within the week but uh, that's where the rangers stand right now so for the time being that's all i've got i wish i could make more of my time here having um commandeered the microphone uh but uh unfortunately i um i'm out of time and and out of hot opinions so Until next week, everybody, when hopefully Kevin, David, and I will not be going in different directions at different times, and we'll all be here to uh, speak with you and dissect either a Cowboys victory and their first appearance in an NFC Championship game in nearly 30 years, or doing the post-mortem on yet another season of Coming Up Short. So long.